0: Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Today in part 54 of our walk through the book of Acts, Pastor Jason is in Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 16, in a sermon he's entitled, A Spiritual Battle. Let's join Jason now in his message.
1: I get the privilege as well as the great responsibility to to bring the word Sunday after Sunday. And we find ourselves this morning back again in the book of Acts. And as I was preparing for this message this week, I came home on Thursday, as maybe some of you did as well. And when I got home, my, my kids asked me, Dad, did you hear what happened in Santa Clarita today? And I said, no, I, I've been living in a, a little bit of a hole, working on acts, barely pulling my head up. What, what do you mean? What, what happened? And they said there was a shooting in, in Santa Clarita at Saugus High School. And, and Santa Clarita is pretty close to our hearts. Why? Because that happens to be where I met my wife. So, so I, I love Santa Clarita, and, and we went to Master's College. And when I went there, there were several guys on our cross-country team. That had actually ran for Saugus high School, and so as I, as I began to hear the story and, and everything that happened, I was obviously shaken. What, what do you do with that right What, what do you do with a 16 year old boy who, who who brings a gun to school and and, and then shoots? You know, I've, I've heard lots of, of reasons as to why th- this has happened. And, and those that um, don't like guns, they would say, oh, that's the problem. Just get rid of all the guns and all this will stop. And I'd say, well, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 and I'll show you where murder happens, where there are no guns. Come with me to Papua New Guinea and I will show you where murder happens, where there are no guns. No, g- guns is is not the only issue of what's going on here. Others would say, oh, no, it's his upbringing. Find out about his family and you're going to see why this happened. And and, and although I I would say that there probably is some of that. uh, What I want to remind us this morning is what we're going to see in, in the book of Acts. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter six. And I believe this is what's going on as well as those other things. I I, I don't believe this is just one factor that plays into this and and why we see so much violence happening and and school shootings as of late and why suicide rates have, have escalated. I believe sometimes we here in America, we forget. The world that we live in and the spiritual realm of what is happening in the spiritual realm. And and this is what the Apostle Paul has to say about such things. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20. A passage of scripture we're all very familiar with, but I think many times we just forget about it. Why? Because this isn't something that we see right in front of us. And so we naturally assume, oh, there there must be other reasons why all this is happening. And yet I, I would say, no, it's all part of the reason why this is happening. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That, that is what we're going to see today. The schemes of the devil. And the, the scheme of the devil that started in the garden, that continued on all the way through history, to the book of Acts and to the establishment of Christ's church, is still going on today. He, he hasn't pulled back and said, "Oh, I'm just going to play this one easy and I'm going to stay out of it. No, no he's still involved. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. What, what does he want to speak? He wants to speak the hope of the gospel. And, and that is what this whole world needs in particular. That is what the, all the folks involved in the shooting and the families that have been infected in Santa Clarita and Saugus, what, what they need this morning. And so I, I want to spend just a little bit of time praying for for Santa Clarita and that the Lord would use this situation to guide many to himself to bring them to church this morning so that they would hear this the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they would find the the hope that lies in the gospel so let me open our time in prayer for them and for us as we open the word heavenly father we we confess we do not have all the answers We look at something like what happened on Thursday in in, in Santa Clarita, Lord, and and it grieves our hearts. It is confusing. And yet we know that you hold the answer. We know that this battle is a spiritual battle. That it is indeed over the souls of men. And Satan would like nothing better than to take more and more with him to spend all of eternity in hell. So we pray for all those involved with the Saugus high school shooting, all the families, Lord, all those dear families, that you would be with them this morning, that you would comfort them as only you could comfort. For those that know you, Lord, we we pray that you would strengthen them in their faith. That you would allow them, as Paul prayed here, to be a bold witness for you. For those that don't know you, Lord, we pray that you would guide them to yourself. That you would bring them to church this morning. That they might hear of the one who bled and died for them, Lord. And that they would trust in you for their salvation this morning. And Lord, as, as we turn now to to acts chapter 16 and we see the struggle the spiritual battle that takes place and satan raising his head in opposition to you planting your church lord jesus we pray that you would speak to us through your word that you would guide us into all truth that you would give us the understanding so that we can stand up against the schemes against the battle plan of our enemy, of your enemy. That we might live to give you praise and glory, Lord. For it's in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So please turn with me to to Acts chapter 16. And what we are going to see this morning really shouldn't come as any surprise because we, we've already seen it many times throughout the book of Acts. That as the gospel goes forth and as Christ continues to build His church and, and now Christ's church is, is, has gone to Europe and, and as the gospel continues to go forth, what happens? Satan stands up in defiance, in opposition and he tries to stop Christ from building His church and, and that is what we are going to see this morning. And yet, as we have seen continually through the book of Acts, that is not going to be the case. Even though Satan does everything he can within his power to stop what Christ is doing in Europe, in Philippi in particular, what we are going to see at the end this morning is the triumph of the gospel, the triumph of God's grace, even in the midst of of some crazy, terrible circumstances that Paul and Silas will find themselves in. So, so let's look this morning at Acts chapter 16 verses 16 to to 25 and what I've entitled a spiritual battle. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities and. When they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. One of the difficulties of teaching through the book of Acts... Is is the fact that it, it seems like things are are, are somewhat repeated, right? Th- this is not a new thing that we have seen. This is not the first time that we have seen opposition come into Christ's church or to His followers, in particular, to the apostles. And so y- you might think, well, well, what new thing are you actually going to going to teach us this morning, Pastor Jason? What's the prophet? We've already seen this before. And and yet, as as I was thinking about what what happened in Santa Clarita this week, I I believe, again, we we grow callous. We, to a certain extent, were we're lulled into sleep, into thinking that there's not a spiritual battle going on around us, and yet there is. And what we're going to see this morning is exactly what Paul saw. And I believe the Lord wants to remind us this morning of this spiritual battle and give us a glimpse into the strategic plan that Satan has, a plan that I I believe looks very similar to what he did back in the garden with with Eve as as well as Adam. And, And that is first he seeks, then he seizes and finally he secures that that is what his modus operandi is. That is what he wants to do. And I don't believe it's just for the unsaved. That he actually goes after believers as well. Why? Because he wants to sideline us. He wants us as believers to be placed in such a position that we're shackled by sin or we're shackled by something else and we're no longer useful. Which is what he's trying to do with Paul and Silas here. But first, what we see is is this. That Satan seeks. and, And it is so clear in these verses, as to what Satan's plan is. And don't think for a minute that he's not seeking after you as well. He is. We we see it all around us. In the world system and everything that's being thrown at us. But but look at verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Now we have to remember, what is going on here? What what is the setting? Don't miss out on exactly what we are told about what these guys are doing. As far as who? As far as Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. The, The four missionaries. What are they involved in? They are involved in gospel ministry. They are involved in doing what the Lord called them to do. Where are they heading? They are heading to the place of prayer in order to minister to this new rising body. Right? To this church that has just been birthed. That's what we saw last week with Lydia. They're going back to Lydia. They're going back to that group of believers to meet with them. No doubt to pray, but also to teach them. And I would also think that they're also going to evangelize. And so that is what they are doing. They are heading in the direction the Lord wants them. They are moving forward. That is what we should be doing. And if that happens, if you are doing that, there is going to be some sort of opposition. And that is what we see happening here. Why? Because Satan's not pleased when we're doing the Lord's work. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to stop the gospel from being heralded, from being proclaimed. And so what does he do here? He, he uses the slave girl. And, and notice the contrast between what we saw with Lydia and what we see here. And instead of given, giving us a name as to who the slave girl is, she's unnamed. That, that's significant. The fact that she is a slave is also significant because that, that lets us know that she's on the very bottom rung of, of the social ladder, right? And what we saw with Lydia was nothing like this. but there's some more significant things that we see besides her just being unnamed and besides her just being a slave girl what what do we see we see that she she has a spirit of divination in the greek what that means is it's a spirit of python you know python the snake and in and in greek mythology that this python this great big snake was known in this i guess grandiose story of the fact that this snake would would guard the entrance into the oracle of Delphi. And as the snake guarded this entrance, supposedly Apollo came and, and defeated the snake, killed it. And then he turned this oracle of Delphi into a place of worship for himself. And then what he would do is, is he would grant any of his followers, particularly women, he'd, he'd give some of them this special power. And they called that those kind of ladies in particular that had that that special power Pythonists, that that they were given the power of Apollo. And what was that power? Well, we see that that power was in fortune telling, but but don't think of fortune telling as you, you drive by here and you see, oh, fortune telling you go inside and and they whip out these cards and they nice methodically tell you what's going to happen in the future or what have you. I've never been to one. But it's something like that, right? And you sit in a nice chair, and everything's great, and and, and maybe they give you some coffee. I, I I have no idea. But what this is entirely different. This word actually means manic. This means an unnatural, frenetic, frenetic behavior that that's like convulsing, go, going into some sort of trauma, traumatic event episode, and 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 what this would look like is when. When this demon came upon her, everybody would know because all of a sudden she'd start convulsing. And she would start freaking out right in front of them. And then this demon would take over. And this demon would be able, by the power of Satan, to tell what was going to happen in the future. And this became so telling, so dominant, that, that the emperor and, and different commanders in military campaigns, they would not take a step forward without going to this oracle and seeking some sort of understanding from one of these ladies what was going to happen with that particular military campaign. This was inbred into their culture. This was huge. And yet, instead of telling the future, look at what she tells in verses 17 to 18. She she actually testifies about Christ. Totally flipped upside down. This is not what you would think would normally happen. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Did you see, did you hear what this particular demon was saying? Two two things about God, two things that are accurate, two things that are right. First, that, that God is the Most High God. This is particularly telling for a demon to say this. You know why? Because in Isaiah 14, as it talks about Satan's fall, do you know what it says about what Satan said? When he fell. What, what he wanted to happen. He, it says that he wanted to be like the Most High. That, that's where this comes from. You see, Satan and all of his demons recognize exactly what they desire. Because Satan has pitched this to them. No doubt, time and time again, his desire hasn't changed from the beginning. He still wants to be like the Most High. He still wants everyone to worship him. Even though he knows that his time is coming Where he will be defeated, he will be destroyed. And placed into hell forever. And so we we see this happening here. That they are, or or he is actually proclaiming God most high. And if that isn't enough, then then he he goes on and he he validates the the message saying that they are giving the way of salvation. Not a way of salvation, the way of salvation. Does this make any sense? Why would Satan be doing this? He's actually pointing people to, to what Paul and Silas and the missionaries are preaching. What they're teaching. Is that because Satan wants many to be saved? No. 1 Peter five eight says what? Your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can what? Devour. Whom he can destroy. That is what Satan's desire is. So what is he doing this for? He's doing this in order to infiltrate Christ's church, in order to cause confusion. And what's so interesting is that during this time, that the, the Greeks, they would have been using the same terminology. They, they would have been talking about Zeus as being the Most High God. And so what happens is, is you look at this, you think, oh... They're proclaiming truth. Well, they're proclaiming truth and it's accurate, but that does not mean that it's interpreted accurately. Do do you understand what Satan is doing here and the trickery that we see in Satan? You, You see, don't be fooled. Satan's trickery, if it serves him, he'll use truth when it works for him, even though he's the father of lies. And so often that is what he does. A little bit of truth mixed in with all sorts of error. And so we need to be discerning in the books that we read, who we listen to. Because sometimes someone can give you a little bit of truth and it sounds awfully good. And really what they're doing is they're leading you the complete other way. What was this demon doing? He was infiltrating the church trying to lead them away. Give off the idea that he was for them when he really was not. And should this entire occurrence really surprise us? No, I I actually wonder why he had to do this was because he had no choice as far as this demon goes. Think about with me for a little bit the Lord Jesus Christ when he roamed this earth and whenever he came in contact quite often with a demon, do you you remember what happened? What what that demon would say? What that demon would do? He, He would just stop and he'd say, oh, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. I wonder if if to a certain extent this was divine compulsion. Meaning that they had no choice. That when one of Satan's demons are close to the Holy One of God, the Son of God, they have no choice and they must give Him all praise and, and authority to a certain extent. That they need to clearly say who he is because they have no choice and again this this doesn't mean because what they were saying was accurate that everybody would interpret it accurately and and as a result what we see too is is this woman what is the slave girl it says that she continued this for many days I, i can just see paul and and all the guys oh no here she comes again But, you know, it's a good thing because she's actually bringing more people to us. And she comes and she keeps saying the same thing. Oh, yes, they are given the right testimony. This is the way of salvation. And yet, over time, finally, what happens? Paul says, "Okay, enough. Why did it take him so long? Why didn't he just stand up the very first time and cast this demon out? I I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But I think in this, there's a good lesson for us on, on being patient. On trusting the Lord and recognizing that the Lord will let us know when we should stand forward and, and when we should keep just pray, pray, and pray, as Paul says in Ephesians six. But we know what happens, right? He he gets to the point to where it says he's greatly annoyed, and, and you like me, you might think, Oh, that, that means he's angry. <laughs> he's ticked off at, at this at this woman and this demon for always interrupting him. But, but that's not what the Greek means. That This doesn't mean to be angered. So don't think of it like you and I when somebody cuts you off on the freeway or, or what have you then stops. That That is not what Paul is, is talking about here. Or what Luke is representing as Paul. That This means to feel burdened about something. And in particular, to be burdened about somebody's provocative activity. To be greatly disturbed it's, it's not the idea of anger. It's, it's the idea of being burdened as as he looks at her. And he sees that this demon is just taking over her time and time again. And, and no doubt, I would think there's some pain involved as she's convulsing and doing it. This didn't look fun. And then on top of it, spiritually, he knew exactly what was going on. And that Jesus Christ held the answer to what she was struggling with. And so on the one aspect, I believe he's burdened for her. And then I also believe he was burdened for all those that were being led astray by what she she was being used by this demon to proclaim. Because their their perceived notions might have been off. And what Paul needed to do was to clearly communicate exactly who he meant when he said the Most High God. He wasn't talking about Zeus. He, He was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah. So what's so wrong about this? The source is wrong. This is coming from a demon, not from a prepared heart like Lydia. This is not talking about someone who the Lord has opened their heart to understand the Gospel. This is coming from somebody in defiance. Who wants to shake his fist in in God's face and bring as many as he can to hell with Him. And notice this too. As he turns and and, and he commands this demon to come out of her. First he does it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes that in and of himself he has no power. And so he relies solely upon Jesus Christ to go ahead and do this on his behalf. And he recognizes that Christ has given him this authority. But two, do you notice who he's talking to? Who who does he speak to? He, He doesn't speak to this girl. He speaks only to the demon to remind us, hey, this is not a war between this girl and Paul. This is a much deeper spiritual battle between Satan and God. And then we see that it comes out when? Five minutes later? After he says it three or four times? No, no. At that very moment, instantaneously, instantly, boom, that demon was gone. And everybody knew it, so it must have been some way that she even looked, you could tell that he was gone. Now let me just spend a little bit of time on this subject of casting demons out. I'm often asked, hey, Pastor Jason, when you were in Papua New Guinea, did you ever see anybody possessed by a demon? And the answer to that question is yes. Do I believe that there are demon possessions today? Yes, yes, yes. So then do I believe that I, like the Apostle Paul, can command a demon to come out of someone? And and that is where I would say we must be careful. Why? Because the authority granted to the Apostle Paul is not the same authority been granted to me. Or to you. Not that I am saying that the Lord could not do this and that if something happened, and this did happen in Papua New Guinea, And I did try to go ahead and and ask the Lord to remove that particular demon. But notice Paul, he's not petitioning, he's not asking, he's not pleading, he's commanding. And he can do that. Why? Because he is an apostle. I am not. And so I did not know when this was happening, if this was going to work. So what did I do? I trusted the Lord. I said, hey, if this is your will, please, Lord... Cast this demon out of this guy right now before I get hurt. It, it, it wasn't funny. It was life-threatening. And yet the reality is nothing changed. He kept coming at me with a machete, and so what did I do then? I ran. And, and that's what I would encourage you to do. And if this happened here in America, and somebody called upon me to do the same thing, I would go, I would pray, and then if that demon didn't leave, I'm not going to stick around for three days. I'm going to recognize that that is not the Lord's will at this particular time. And we're going to get to Acts chapter 19 and we're going to see these seven sons of Sceva. Right? And we're gonna see these guys go and they try to do what Paul's doing. What do, what do the demons say? Hey, we know Paul, we know Jesus, but who are you? And those guys leave bleeding and naked. Th- this is not something to mess around with. This is a spiritual war that is on His side, the Lord's side, so we leave it in His hands. And we trust Him. So this woman who was possessed by this demon, he, notice she's not rebuked. She's not judged. Her life is entirely changed from this point on. But, but notice, we're not told anything else about her. We're not told that, that she becomes a believer. It, it's funny how many commentators say, oh yes, she's a believer and she became one of the strong pillars of the church. and this and that. I'm like, what, where is that? Actually, the spotlight goes off of her rather quickly and goes right on to her owners. Why? I I believe because the Lord wants us to know that this is a spiritual battle. And that as Satan takes his focus off of one, he'll switch things over right away. And that's what I think he does time and time again in our lives. You get a handle on this particular sin, well, then all of a sudden, boom, Satan starts to hit you more and more in this. Man, just look at the Internet or what have you. All sorts of opportunity for us to be led astray. But with this woman in particular, we don't know. We, we don't know exactly what becomes of her. But we do know that physically she is delivered. And no doubt spiritually the Lord wanted her to be delivered. So, so yes, it, it, could, it would make sense that, that two of the guys stay, Timothy and Luke. Notice how they're not taken as, as we continue on. It's just the two guys that are Jewish that are taken. And and that's for a reason, because this is going to be something that they're they're trying to turn this into an us versus them, the Jews against us, Romans. And they know that if they can say that, that that then everything will go their way. But we see that Satan is not just trying to to seek out people. But he desires to seize people as well, to to get them into his trap into. Keep them there, both believers and non believers. Look at verses nineteen to twenty one. But her master saw that their hope of profit was gone. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities, and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men were throwing our city are throwing our city into confusion being Jews and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose... Oh, I'm sorry. That Let's stop at 21. So what happens? Satan takes his, his focus off of the girl now because that's done. And so what does he do? He uses these crowd, these... Owners of this woman, of this slave girl. And he riles them up against the cause of Christ. But notice what they do and and how trickery it is, right? Because instead of coming forward to the magistrates, which are basically like judges, and telling them, hey, you know what happened? This guy came and, and, and he basically has taken away all of our money. He's taken away our vocation because we were making lots of money off this girl. She no longer has the demon, so we're out of all this money. Hey, give us back our money. no they, they don't do that and, and instead they they use trickery much as Satan would, and they probably don't even recognize how much Satan is using them. and what is the thing driving them? It's greed. it's greed, it's the love of money. that's what they're all about. Even when salvation is presented right before them, they don't care. And this is a very good lesson for us to understand. The love of money and the power that it has upon us. Upon those that still have not trusted Christ. You know what will happen for some? They will hear the message of the Gospel. And then they will say, you know what? It's really not worth it. I'd much rather just keep having my cake and eating it too and living the way that I want to live. Why? Because this is more important. And you fill in the blank this money, or this job, or this girl, or or what have you. In in this case, it was money. But we see here that Satan doesn't desire only to go after non-believers, but he goes after Paul and Silas too. Why? I believe to discredit them. To put them in a situation where they, like Job, will raise their, their, their fists in defiance to God. As we see, they come before the chief magistrates. And what is their, their whole claim? They basically say, hey, these men are causing an uprising. They're going to turn our nice Roman town into something that, that it's that's not Roman. And so basically they're saying, hey, it's either us or it's them. Don't let these guys come in here and, and, and do all the things that they're doing religiously and change what the good thing we have going on here in Philippi in the name of Rome. And we have to remember how patriotic this city is. And so what happens? Everybody gets on board. And they say, oh yes, we understand. And yet, is this reality? Is this what they should have done? No, what they should have done was repented. They should have said, oh yes, the way that we have been using this woman all of this time is not good. Tell us the way to be saved. But instead, we don't see that at all. They use them as a scapegoat. And and do we not do the same thing so often? That we follow Adam and Eve's lead back in the garden and we blame someone else when we should have just taken responsibility for ourselves. And so we see that that Satan not only wants to seize those that that are his, that are not believers, but he also wants to seize believers and, and, and somehow get them wrapped up into something. That he could hopefully then do this. That he could secure them. He doesn't just want to seize someone. He wants to keep them and hold them and secure them, much like they are in some sort of jail. Look at verses 22 to 24. As we see the response, the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their their robes off them. See, Notice how angry they are. They just teared their robes right off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Recognize this is not the same as being scourged like Jesus was with the cat of nine tails. This literally was a whole bunch of rods that were then used to to beat someone. This wasn't capital punishment, but it was very, very mean and aggressive and caused great suffering, but not to the point of death. Later, the Apostle Paul will write in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 11, that, that he was beaten with rods three times, and, and he was five times whipped like Jesus was with 39 lashes, where 40 was known to be what would kill you. Why, why is Satan doing this? He, he's doing this in, in order to, to wear them down. To get them to the point to where they will just curse God. And they will turn away from what they're doing. And you know what? Satan wants to get you and he wants to get me in that same position. He wants to trap us. He wants to secure us. So that we feel discouraged. So that we feel depressed. So that we feel hopeless. And so we see the this, this shame of our sin. And we think, oh my, the, the cross of Christ could not pay for that. And we become so defeated that we're no longer useful to the Lord. That's what he's trying to do here. And Satan tries to do that to us today through all sorts of means. It can be through money, allowing somebody to get so much into money that that becomes their God. It it can be through the Internet, watching things that they should not be watching. It can be through anger, all sorts of things that, that Satan will use in order to secure us and put us in this position where we we cannot come out of it. Why? Because our focus gets off of the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding His grace and our focus gets on to this other thing that becomes all-encompassing for us. And although Satan desired to trip up and secure Paul and Silas, this is so cool the way this the way this ends here, at least now we're going to come back and and look at what happens when they're in prison next week. But look at verse 25 and and the hope that we see in this. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of, of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Notice this, instead of cursing God, Or instead of even just being what what we would think of normal, right? Instead of just saying, oh man, this hurts. I'm in pain. Hey, aren't you in pain? And, And this and that. Instead, their response is not normal. This response can only come by the grace of God living and active in their lives. And that is exactly what we see. Because you have to understand what, what this is communicating. Not, not only do, do they, do they take, take the clothes off of them, beat them with these rods, then they put them inside the inner part of the prison. This would be like solitary confinement. Cut off from everyone. Totally dark, dirty, dingy, gross, disgusting. So just on that aspect, nobody wants to go in there. On top of this, they've just been beaten. On top of that, they put them in stocks. And the way that you could do this is they had different holes, so your feet could be you know shoulder width apart, where, where it's not terrible, but you're, you're still confined, or they could pull your your feet so far apart that, that you you're miserable. and your legs are miserable and you're cramping, and of course you can't sleep. And some say that they were actually secured to the back of the wall. And even in that state, look at what they do. They pray and they praise. How can you do that? You can't do that, but Christ in you can. God's grace can do that. And that's what we see. Why do they respond like this? I believe they respond because they recognize for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. You know what? If this is all that you got and I'm going to die here tomorrow, well then praise the Lord because I will be so much better off tomorrow. And perhaps even going further, they recognize what a blessing it is to actually suffer for Christ's sake and the testimony that they are to the Lord for Christ's sake in their suffering. And so then they can do something that just goes so much beyond what normal human expectation would be in this case. This is not what you would see, what you would think would happen when somebody goes into prison. No wonder why all the prisoners stop and listen. Why? Because they probably never, ever heard praise and worship and prayer in a cell. (laughs) Especially in somebody in solitary confinement that's in the dungeon, in the very bottom of the prison. And yet, that's the way they respond. Why is that? That's because of God's grace. How encouraging to see that the Lord can work in and through His servants in such a way that would allow them to give Him praise And to pray to Him in in, in such terrible circumstances. And I don't know where the Lord has you this morning, but this should give you hope. This should strengthen your faith and your resolve and to recognize, you know what? Hey, if the Lord can do this in their life, the Lord can do this in your life. Because of His matchless, wonderful grace. Even when Satan is trying to seek, seize, and secure us, God's grace is greater. God's grace is deeper. God's grace is wider and more powerful than anything that Satan can throw at us. I I have some points to ponder, but I'd just like to leave it with this. I'd like to leave us considering God's wonderful grace and how it was manifested in in the lives of of Paul and Silas after all of this. And what we're going to see next week is even more amazing as we're going to see a a jailer who at one point is ready to commit suicide and then at the end is now praising the Lord, putting his life on the line and, and looking after these guys and washing their wounds, taking them to his own house. How can that happen? That can only happen by God's grace. So let me close our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do. We bask in Your wonderful grace. We thank You. For what we have seen this morning in the book of Acts, Lord, we know that it is not just a story, that it was living reality. That what Paul and Silas endured, they really did endure. That the pain and the suffering that they went through was real. And yet their praise and their prayer was equally real, even more so, Lord. Teach us. Teach us to praise you. And to have our focus upon You to such an extent, Lord, that, that the things that happen in this world, that they wouldn't have the, the pulling down effect of us, Lord. But that we'd continue to lift our eyes to You, looking to You for all that You have for us, Lord. So use us this week. In Jesus' name.
0: Ranchobaptistchurch.org www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.